Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We thank you for um, our daily bread. We pray that you would feed our souls with the manna of your word, uh, that we would uh, grow spiritually strong and continue to grow. Um, We thank you and give us ears to hear uh, and understand your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Baptist and Bible churches uh, generally acknowledge uh, a couple of official offices in church leadership. One, of course, is the pastor, and also designated in the Bible and in some churches as elders or as overseers. Now, the other office is deacon. Now, some of our more liturgical and um, hierarchical churches uh, call some of their clergy priests. And I don't think there's a a problem with that. You know, even in our uh, Baptist churches, we have leaders of other appellations. We have um, moderators and chairpersons of, you know, different ministries and things. And in uh, some of the churches, there are ministers, ministers for youth, women, children, and various things like that. And minister means servant, and uh, especially in ecclesiastical settings. And that's what ministers do. They serve. And sometimes we, um, the pastors are also referred to as ministers as well as pastors because they serve as well. They serve uh, the Lord and they, by serving his people. Um, So if some churches call some of their ministers priests, you know, I'm okay with that. However, there are some groups, some religious uh, organizations or bodies that say they have Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. Groups of Aaronic priests and groups of, of Melchizedek priests. And that's not biblical. That's just not biblical. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about that. Next slide, please. So first of all, there's the uh, Aaronic or the Levitical priesthood. And as as Todd and Matt pointed out, that's a, a hereditary thing. It was limited to the descendants of Levi and the descendants of Aaron. So other tribes, people from the other tribes could not be Levitical priests or Aaronic priests. And Gentiles certainly don't fit that category. So because it's hereditary through Levi and Aaron, that, is, um, that doesn't work for others. And also, the, um, the Aaronic priesthood is not necessary for the church because Jesus himself was the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin, so we don't need to keep having you know, priests offer those things. As uh, Pastor Todd um, shared with us, uh, next slide, please. In, um, a, a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews 7 and 27, says he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, 
since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so it's hereditary. It's, um, it's no, longer, uh, you know, no longer needed for that sacrifice for sin, and it's no longer applicable. Um, as it says in um, the ne- next slide, please, let's do that. Uh, as Pastor Todd pointed out in Hebrews 7 there in 11 uh, and 12. Uh, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people had received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And so we are no longer under the law. It says in Matthew 5, we're no longer under the law because Christ has fulfilled the law. And so we are under the law of Christ and under a different priesthood, as it says in the text here, one that is in the order of Melchizedek. And... So it's hereditary, it's uh, no longer needed, it's no longer applicable. And so the Aaronic priesthood is not something for the church today. Next slide, please. So it says it's not applicable because there's another order, the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of of Aaron in the Aaronic priesthood. So what about this um, Melchizedek priesthood? Now, Melchizedek is kind of an enigmatic and somewhat mysterious person that we encounter briefly in the scriptures in Genesis 14, as Brother Matt shared with us last week, briefly in an encounter with Abram. Now, the only place in the New Testament where we read about Melchizedek is in the book of Hebrews that we're studying right now. Um, The only other place in the Bible we hear about Melchizedek is in the Old Testament, and it's uh, in Psalm 110. So let's take a look at that text and see what light it sheds on this situation here. I didn't have that on there. That's our kind of our focal text, so you can... If you'd like, turn in your your Bibles there to Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments, from the womb of the morning to the dew of youth, will be yours. Then verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. 
He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So to understand the the verse that we're looking at in verse 4 about Melchizedek, we have to look at it in his context. As Pastor Todd has reminded us, the importance of context. The biblical context, the historical context, but also the literary context and the immediate context of, of Psalm 110. And it's an interesting thing, note, and, and an important thing to note in verse 1, in the second line, the Lord says to my Lord. That is key because the word for says there is not the usual Hebrew word for says. And in fact, it's not actually a verb at all but a noun. And it means an oracle. And so literally it's um, an, an oracle of Yahweh to my Lord. And an oracle, of course, is a, a prophetic utterance, a prophetic pronouncement. And so that tells us that this psalm is a prophecy. Now, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, are, there's, they're songs, they're poetry, but there's lots of different kinds of them in, in that book. There's various kinds. Um, there's praise psalms, there's thanksgiving psalms, penitential psalms, laments, imprecatory psalms, wisdom psalms, and this one is a prophecy. Now, while there are some other psalms that do have uh, prophetic aspects as well, this is the only one with this word that explicitly announcing that it is a prophecy. And therefore, to understand it properly, we have to interpret it in that light. And so so the, the verse and the whole text is important. Now, we see in the prescript... It says it's a psalm of David, but it's not primarily a psalm directly uh, about David. It's about someone else. Now, notice in verse 2, there's some key words there in verse 2. You see the word scepter, the end of the first uh, sentence there, and then rule. These indicate that the one who is the object of this prophecy will be granted divine authority and have great dominion. And then in verse 3, down there at the end of that uh, first sentence of verse 3, power reveals that he will be a man of great power. Now, and then we have our verse 4 about Melchizedek, and then the following verses, 5 through 7, They indicate that not only will this coming one have great power and dominion, but will also exercise great judgment. He will execute judgment upon nations all over the earth. Now, David was a a mighty king, but this is way beyond David. This is not about David. It's about someone else. I wonder who it could be. I wonder if it's anyone we know. Well, we don't have to guess. 
the Holy Spirit has kind of indicated to us, although Melchizedek is only mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, Psalm 110 is referenced elsewhere too. And um, verse 1 particularly is alluded to a number of times. And so we realize that the uh, first century Judaism generally acknowledged Psalm 110 as a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And, uh, and yet they didn't quite always get it. Uh, there's some times where Jesus was having discussions with the religious leaders and they'd ask him tough questions and so he asked them a question uh, and he kind of had them baffled because they were, he was questioning them about how David acknowledging his descendant would be greater than himself. Generally, you have the patriarch, and he's greater, and you know, down the line, not so much. But here, well, next slide. Yeah, in Luke uh, 20 there, and 41 and following. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is uh, he his son? And he kind of had him stumped because it's suggesting that this, not the patriarch, but the offspring is actually greater than the patriarch. And they're going, okay, Messiah, how does this fit with their concept of Messiah? Well, we see um, Peter kind of had a, uh, part of the answer to that, uh, go ahead in the next slide. In his, um, in his sermon at Pentecost, he kind of has an answer uh, in, in part about that in Acts 2, 32 to 36. It says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out uh, on this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the greater son, because this Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, and he's Lord, and greater than the father David, the great King David. He's greater than he is. And so when we read Psalm 110, 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, we know that this is a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. But then the question comes up, what about the other priests in the order of Melchizedek? It says he's in this order of Melchizedek. What about the other priests in that order? And that's the next question we have to look at. Now, in English and in other languages, some words have various meanings and various nuances of meanings uh, depending on the context. And that's important 
in understanding a text. And like, for example, um, being a logger is very taxing work, right? I mean, it takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of energy. You have to really work hard at it and, and stuff. So being an IRS agent is taxing work. And it's harder on everyone else. They don't break a sweat. But other people do, especially if they're getting audited, right? So we have taxing and taxing. Same word, but can have really different meanings depending on the context. And so, when it's talking about this order of Melchizedek, in the, in the Hebrew, it's Debrah is the Hebrew word. Now, in the Septuagint, now that's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was like, the scholars debate, hundred, couple hundred years B.C., between the Old Testament time, New Testament time, Alexander the Great took over the world, made everything Greek, Greek language, Hellenized culture, all that kind of stuff. During that time, to keep up with things, a group of scholars translated the, the Old Testament from the Hebrew into the Greek. And so they take Debrah in that verse, they translated by the Greek, Toxis. And um, the Septuagint, this Greek version, was commonly used in the New Testament time, in the first century. And so that's the word used in the author of Hebrews' quote, in Hebrews 7.17, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, you're a priest after Melchizedek. He uses that word, toxis, which was the translation of Dibrah, and he picks that up in his quote in the New Testament. And then the King James Version translated that Greek word into the English word order. At least they did, you know, in this particular, um, in this verse. And many other translations since then have followed suit. And it's not really, it's not a wrong translation, but it has, uh, but it can be misunderstood. It has some ecclesiastical baggage which may make it misleading. I mean, for centuries, and still today, some churches and denominations have Orders, religious orders. They're, they're groups of monks, nuns, sisters, and so forth. You know, you have the Benedictines and the Sisters of Mercy, the Sisters of Charity. You have these orders, these communities who have made vows to live together in a simple life or um, engage in works of service together. And so when some have uh, seen Order of Melchizedek. They've envisioned groups of priests of Melchizedek engaging in some sort of ministry. But that's, that's not an accurate understanding. So the Hebrew word, back to the Hebrew word, Debrah, has various nuances in meaning, and that and other forms of that are translated by, in the King James in like 80, 90 some different ways. And uh, so there's various nuances. But the primary meaning in our text here is manner 
or mode. And so it would be like after the manner of Melchizedek or in the mode of Melchizedek. Next slide. And so um, in the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a relatively new translation, it has uh, simply and clearly translates it, the Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back forever. You are a priest like Melchizedek. The manner or mode. You're, so you're a priest. This Messiah was to be a priest like Melchizedek. And so while in Hebrews 7.17, where the author of the book of Hebrews that we have been you know, studying now, um, he quotes Psalm 110.4 from the Septuagint as toxis. But in the verse above that, in Hebrews 7.15, Pastor Todd went over um, a couple weeks ago, was part of our, our text, where he is explaining the significance of Melchizedek, he uses a different word. Go ahead and put up the next. Oh, wait, no, no, keep it back there. Yep, down here. The likeness. Um, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. And so when he's quoting it, he uses toxis, which is the way it was translated. But when he's kind of explaining that, he uses hamoiates, which means likeness, resemblance, similitude. And this translates, the well, uh, translates well the Hebrew dibra. So Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It's about Jesus. And so... Um, and it's that he's like Jesus. When it says in the order of Melchizedek, it means he's like Jesus. Um, and so in what way is Jesus like Melchizedek? And Pastor Todd, Brother Matt, they uh, shared about that um, last week, the week before. And so I'm just going to briefly uh, recap a couple of points. If you missed that or you want to catch that again, harrisonbaptist.org, um, sermons, are, um, are staved on there. So you can listen to it again or listen to it if you missed it to get more about that. But I want to recap a couple things and, um, and then accentuate uh, one other point on that. So next slide. There we are. How is he like that? For one thing, that Jesus is like Melchizedek in that they're both, both priest and king. And as Matt uh, talked about, that was... Um, and, and, and Pastor Todd, too, usually, you know, in Israelites, with them, you could be one, you might be neither, if you weren't in the right tribe, but you could be one or the other, but you couldn't be both, because they're from different tribes. And so, um, Jesus, like Melchizedek, is both king and priest, and not only that, like Melchizedek, Jesus is king of righteousness and king of peace. And in fact, he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And he is not only like Melchizedek, he is greater than Melchizedek because Jesus is the king of kings as well. 
And so also, like Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest. And not only that, he is our great high priest. And not only, remember Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High? Jesus is not only the priest of God Most High, but he is one with God Most High in essence. So, and then another important way that Jesus is is like Melchizedek is that like Melchizedek, he precedes and is superior to Aaron. Abram, remember uh, in uh, the Genesis passage that, that Matt shared, Abram tithed to Melchizedek, indicating that Melchizedek was greater in status and authority than he was. And so Jesus, as preexistent God, he precedes and is greater than not only um, Levi and Aaron and Moses, but Abraham and Melchizedek. Remember where John uh, records in 858 uh, when he was in this discussion with religious leaders, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they were trying to kill him because he's not only by making that I am statement, he's claiming one with God and he's saying he's preexistent. He's before Abraham. So the other very significant uh, similarity I would like to point out that Jesus is like Melchizedek was that he was not part of any group of priestly peers and does not have a successor. I mean, there were many Levitical priests who served and the priesthood was passed on down from father to son in the line of Aaron. And this was necessary as... um, as both Pastor Todd and Brother Matt pointed out, because they died and and there was still sin. And so there still needed to be a sacrifice for sin. With Melchizedek, there's no mention of any other priests. There's nothing in Scripture about his passing his priestly duties on to a son or anyone else. And likewise, although Jesus had disciples, he did not have a group, he was not part of a group, of priestly peers, no equals. And he is our ultimate and unique great high priest. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice of himself once for all. And he is forever at the Father's right hand interceding for us. So he has no need for successors to take his place. That's why in... um, Hebrews 7, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, in Hebrews 7, 24, it says in the, um, in the RSV, my very literal translation, but because he continues into the eternity, he has the non-transferable priesthood. Next slide. Oh, yeah, there he is. Then the... Um, in the ESV, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession 
for them. So there's no group of Melchizedek priests. The order of Melchizedek is an order of one. Only Jesus. The only one like Melchizedek is Jesus. Because Melchizedek was a type of Christ. And it seems likely that the only reason that God ordained that cameo appearance of Melchizedek in the scriptures back in Genesis was just to point to Jesus. So um, none of us is qualified to be an Aaronic priest or a Melchizedek priest. We don't fit that. So biblically, is there any priesthood for the church today? Well, yes, actually there is. Uh, Next slide. In Revelation uh, 1, 5, and 6, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are priests, not of or from Aaron or Melchizedek, but from Jesus. We're not peers, mind you. We're not peers. Jesus is the one and only great high priest forever. But everyone who receives him as Lord and Savior is a priest. And you don't need the the fancy clerical garb because you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so we don't need another human mediator. And as Matt mentioned last week, each of us can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus is always interceding for us. But we can, as priests, offer sacrifices of our, from our lips, verbal sacrifices, sacrifices of praise and of thanksgiving. And we can be priests to one another, ministering to each other and lifting one another up in prayer as well. So God, through his apostle Peter, um, says to all who cling to the true biblical gospel in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord. We lift up your name on high because there is no one like you. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. You're our great high priest. We thank you for being our ultimate final and all-sufficient sacrifice. Thank you for the privilege of coming to your throne of grace and empower us to serve you faithfully and be faithful priests. Amen. Thank you to uh, Randy. I want to also just once again thank our, our veterans, and we're so appreciative of you and
Um, come to time where we want to gather together to send off the the shoe boxes that we've packed. These boxes go around the world. Uh, we don't yet know where they're going to end up, um, but we're we have a way to kind of track that. So, um, but we want uh, you know as I was thinking about uh, um, what Randy was sharing about that we are. When we become followers of Christ, the Bible says that we become a royal priesthood that belongs to Jesus Christ. And the job of, of priests is to represent well the one they serve. And that is our calling, that we represent Christ in this world. And our, our, we need to, to carry that message with the love of Christ. And 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight reminds us in that work that... Um, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And the labor that's gone into um, the, the bringing together of these shoeboxes and then shipping them and taking them to their destination um, and the message of the gospel that goes with that and those who will be on the other end to share the gospel message uh, there's a lot of labor involved in that, and um, we just are a little taste on the front end of it, um, and a lot of hands joining together, a lot of people, hearts joining together in prayer, and we want to send them to their next stop with uh, all, of, all of our heart love and prayers as well, and uh, I would like to ask for a couple of you to volunteer to pray over those boxes um, before we conclude our time. Who would like to, to do that? Oh, by the way, 250 of them got packed. Um, that's more than we've ever done. And I was, thanks to Julie and Shar for the amazing work they did to really help that all happen, and then all the hands that went into packing them. Um, so thank you so much. Um, who, who would like to pray over these? Julie, would you prime the pump and bring be one of those? And then who, who would pray with her? Thanks, Susie. So this morning, um, I have the YouVersion Bible app. And the verse for today is Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And uh, for some reason, I knew you were going to call on me. So uh, that verse came to my mind when I was thinking about the shoeboxes, that so many people donated and came together in the name of Jesus to uh, sacrifice their time and their finances and um, bits and pieces of everything just to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have not heard it before. And one of the things we like to talk about is it's not just for the kids. Um, parents here will know that when kids find something out, it's not just the kids that keep that, that to themselves. Um, it uh, affects the whole family. So when they hear the good news about Jesus Christ, it's not just them, but there's, it's if, going throughout their whole family and their neighbors and their friends. And it's like the, the game um, 
telephone, telegraph, or you tell a secret, <laughs> and it just keeps going throughout the whole, uh, weaving its way throughout. So I just want to quickly pray for our boxes and um, tell God how thankful we are for this congregation and for all of the love that's in these boxes that are going to these kids. So, dear Father, our Father in heaven, how appropriate. We here um, love you so much. We pray over these boxes that you have given us responsibility for and have put in our hearts to pack with love and fun and things for children who don't have anything. We pray for all of the hands who have touched this box, these 250 boxes, um, from here. Um, and every hand that will touch these boxes till their final destination. Uh, we pray for the children that will receive these boxes, that you would increase their joy by tenfold, and you would allow them to hear your good news of salvation, and that they would hear and receive um, your word with glad hearts and pass it on to their friends and their families and everyone around them so that eventually every ear will hear. We thank you for the time and the efforts um, of everyone involved and pr pray your blessing over each person um, and the traveling journey of these boxes. We thank you, Lord, so much. Lord, I know you know each child already, which boxes go into which child. You know exactly which items that are in those boxes and which child needs each item. We know that you are going to be there when they open that box. You're going to give them that hug, that encouragement. Thank you so much that they they also will be given a Bible lesson and, and an opportunity to learn about you. And, I'll, and not just a one-time gift, it's, it's a lifetime gift forever that they can go home to be with you someday. Thank you that you have given us the, the material ability to put these together, that if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to do this. Thank you so much that you have given everybody here the little responsibility that you've chosen for them to do to put this together so that we can touch the lives of these children and families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Lord bless and keep you guys, and may his favor shine upon all those that uh, these shoe boxes travel through and to. And um, thank you for helping out with that in whatever way you did. Um, I'd like to remind you there's potluck right after this. So I'd invite you downstairs for that. And um, um, that's it, the end. <laughs>